Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I'm not Tom Mills, but I am Bruce, and today I'm joined by Cow Wing. Hello. And longtime friend of the pod, and our very first guest, actually, Lucas Michelle. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to having a little chat today. As always, you can get in touch with us at Cookie Jar Golf. That's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also on YouTube, where we just posted a recent story of a golf club on Cleve Hill. So we'd urge you to check that out get behind the petition it's fantastic um old tom design um and yeah as ever get in touch comment like subscribe um lucas long time no speak how you doing man yeah i've been well i've just been uh chilling in the u.s for the last sort of six weeks or so got here in well it's probably longer now it's probably eight eight nine weeks i got here in early august so yeah i've been chilling mm. um Obviously, I've had a few things happen, as you, your listeners might be aware, but, um, yeah, played a couple of tournaments. So, yeah, just been having a good time and, uh, yeah, sort of now now got some time off to, to relax. I'm, I'm in Detroit at the minute and learning some golf course architecture stuff, which is a bit different. So, yeah, all's, all's, all's well with me. Yeah, so I guess winding it back to uh, the last time we spoke, you were just – getting ready for Augusta. We thought it was going to be the usual April Masters. Um, and I think you're out in the the States at that point. You were maybe playing a couple of amateur events. We playing the Augusta Amateur and just getting prepared. I mean, how did that all, when the lockdown and restrictions came in back in March, I mean, I guess that all, that, that took everyone by surprise. But how did it, how did it sort of affect you? Were you, I guess, on the plane back to Oz pretty quickly and just sort of doing lockdown over there? Yeah. So when we last spoke, I think I just, I'd either just got over to the States or I was just coming back. I can't remember. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I was – what happened was in, in March I went over to Augusta um, prepping sort of some early preparation for, for the Masters. Um, ended up getting to getting to Augusta National and finding out that the Masters was postponed on the very same day I got there. Um, so arrived for some early practice and then realised it was just going to be a fun weekend and – I was there to enjoy it rather than do any sort of serious reconnaissance. But um, my caddy, Will Davenport, um, and I, we had a good time, had a good weekend, stayed at Butler Cabin and um, played the courses a few times. And then after that, I really had to hop on a plane pretty much straight away back home. I was planning to play the Azalea Amateur, which is country club at Charleston. Um, that was that was going to be a really good event, um, but that got cancelled. Um, and so, yeah, I just hopped on a plane back home early, uh, when was it, maybe the 21st or 20th of March and had to quarantine when I got back um, just because obviously the virus was really kind of spreading and growing at that point. Quarantined for two weeks um, at, at home, doing nothing, didn't touch a club, set up a little net in my backyard and was able to hit a few shots and basically only work on really technical stuff and then, and then by the time I'd finished my quarantine, golf had been banned in the state of Victoria and in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't play golf properly after that either. So it was just basically hitting a bunch of balls in a net in my backyard, working on some 
some technical stuff. My, um, my friend runs a, like an indoor practice facility. So he lent me his, one of his track man units and was able to hit some balls with that, but there's nothing like seeing ball flight. Um, you know, a screen's, a screen's fine, but, uh, when you can see it, you know, flying through the air, it's always a little bit better. Um, so, but that, that was good to kind of work on some technical stuff. I had some opportunities to make some, I feel like positive technical changes. Um, but yeah, um, it was a long sort of eight weeks without playing a, a golf hole and, and finally golf reopened in, in about May and I was able to go back out and practice and play and, you know, it's the depth of winter for Melbourne, which a Melbourne winter is not, not anything like a European or American winter, but, you know, there's some miserable days. So it wasn't the most pleasant conditions to play golf in, but it was, it was golf and I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, playing in twos, they were limiting us to twos and the rounds were really Mm. fast and it was kind of, it was kind of cool. And then, um, and then we actually got locked down again in August. (laughs) So (laughs) that was just before I, I was heading back to the U S because at that point the masters and the U S open got rescheduled and I figured out that I should come over as well for the U S amateur. So I headed, I headed over in, on August 6th and golf had just been banned in Melbourne again. So, um, they had a big spike in cases over there. So mm. yeah, they, they'd stopped golf. So I came over August 6th and kind of off pretty limited practice and, and certainly limited competitive practice and play hadn't really played a tournament since March. So, um, yeah, the, the USAM was my sort of first event uh, coming in. And that was straight into uh, Bandon Dunes. It was, yeah. So Bandon's uh, awesome. I mean, we, for the tournament, what was that? Sorry, Bruce. It lives up to the sort of expectation and the kind of hype that people people give it. I think so. I think so. For me, obviously, it's as scenic as as anywhere in the world. Um, Yeah, I mean, we played... So for the tournament, we had like a little fun thing on the par three course, the preserve. Um, that was like a kind of like a introductory sort of round where you got paired up with a couple other players, but it was not really a practice round of anything. Um, and then um, played the tournament on the, the trails course and the band and dunes course. So um, they were the two stroke play um, courses. And, and yeah, I mean, they're incredible, both those golf courses. Um Trails is called Crenshaw. Dunes is the original Dave McClay kid. So um, really fun golf courses. Conditions can be really difficult um, if the wind gets up. And I probably got a bit of a, a typical link straw where I caught the wind on one side and then mm. got the wind on the other as well. So I think the afternoon I played the first round, they the USGA put out a stat. It was playing three and a half strokes harder if you're on that side of the draw, then if you're on the other sand ended up missing the cut by three shots. So I could chalk a bit of it down to that. I definitely didn't play my best, but, um, I did get a little, definitely a little bit of a tougher draw, but yeah, after I got knocked out, didn't make match play. I ended up hanging around and played Pacific dunes, old McDonald and had a walk around sheep ranch, which is the, the new core Crenshaw course there. So got a little taste of, of what Bandon's like and 
you know, I was in the bubble for the first, they, they created like a tournament bubble for the first sort of few days I was there. But once you, once you got knocked out, you're, you could kind of do whatever you wanted. Um, so yeah. yeah, I kind of had at it and went, went out and played all the other courses. Did you have, uh, did you have Will on the back or were you ca- carrying yourself or did you have a local caddy or? Yeah, not for the, um, not, not for the amateur. No, I, I just sort of carried my own bag. I probably could have got Will out there. Um, yeah, that would have been a cool experience, but you know, it's a long way to go for him. And, um, yeah, it's sort of, we were going to be spending plenty of time together, um, um, later on in the year. So, um, yeah, it was sort of just by myself, carried my own bag, um, didn't hire a caddy, so I didn't have to worry about them scratching the surface on a, on a bunker. Yeah, making sandcastles. Crazy. Couldn't yeah. believe that. Um, but, yeah, it was it was still awesome. Um, that last day I was there, I ended up playing Pacific Dunes and um, Old MacDonald the same day, and then I walked around Sheep Branch as well that very same day. So I think I walked 54 holes of golf and I felt dead. I should have taken a caddy probably one of the first two rounds, but it was still pretty fun. <laughs> Made the most of it. Yeah, it was awesome. And so after that, um, was it kind of moving over to the East Coast and prep kind of be- be- um, began in earnest for your first major at the US Open at um, Wingfoot? Yeah, I sort of, I, I slowly sort of made my way over um, to the East Coast, but I started, I, I've got some family friends in Wyoming, so they're sort of like Jackson Hole area and, and mm. they were wanting to have me in their, you know, in their town for ages. So it's a really beautiful place, Jackson Hole. It's like right at the sort of base of the Teton Mountains. And there's a good course there called Shooting Star that um, he's a member of. So stayed with them, you know, hung out with them, played a bu- bunch of golf in that area. Funnily enough, Adam Scott was apparently there two days before I got there, which I didn't even realise, which was pretty funny. Um, I think he yeah. said his AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am partner was like, the guy's always paired with some member there or something like that and wanted to have him out there. So um, that was kind of cool. He apparently shot an easy 63. Um, I didn't quite shoot that when I was there, but um, it's a nice golf course. Um, and then after that, I went over to Detroit, actually. So I've been been spending a lot of my time in Detroit because um, basically because I do – because I'm like a design associate for Mike Clayton in Australia – and Mike Clayton's partnered with um, Mike DeVries in CDP Golf, um, Clayton DeVries Pond. Basically, Mike lined up, Mike Clayton lined up for me to sort of do a bit of work experience, internship kind of stuff with DeVries out here in Bloomfield Hills in Michigan. So, yeah, it's a, it's a Harry Colt original design, the only solo Harry Colt design in America, and it's being restored by by Mike DeVries. So um, pretty big project. I think it's four or $5 million budget. So um, mm. it's a decent enough project to kind of watch a lot of stuff happening and um, learn a lot. And, and I've got little to no construction experience. So um, but it's obviously something I'm really interested in. It's a good, good way to kind of fill in some time because um, if I wanted to go back to Melbourne, uh, I'd be, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel and have to pay for that myself. So it's like just didn't make sense to return to Australia. So um, it's good to be able to, you know, spend some time in the US um, 
you know, not not costing myself a fortune because I'm sort of staying with with Mike and and that. So it's 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 really good and and learning a lot while I'm here. So mm. um, did that for for three weeks or so before the US Open, and um, you know, pulled out a shovel and d- dug a few bunkers and rode on a bulldozer and tried to learn how to use one of those and um, <laughs> raked, raked some, you know, did everything basically and gave myself a few blisters and then, you know, a good core workout when I was shoveling. So um, probably helped. Perfect, get out S&C, yeah. Yeah, get, get out of that thick wing foot rough was the plan. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that, was, that was sort of my lead into the, the, the US Open and obviously practicing, was able to practice um, at the course as well because they had a few holes open and, and parts of the practice facility. So I was still able to work on my game, but I kind of filled in the time as well, sort of learning some hands-on construction stuff. I bet that was no, quite a welcome um, distraction from because um, it's probably such thing as over-preparation or just sort of thinking about the US Open constantly for the three-week build-up. And... Yeah. You know, ideally I probably would have, like to have found some tournaments to play in but i mean there just kind of wasn't anything on and um yeah it worked really well that that i was able to do something productive in that three to four week period um yeah it was it was yeah, it's, it's been awesome um and then yeah so i headed to to wingfoot um thursday before tournament week or to the to new york area thursday before tournament week and um got a little golf in played sleepy hollow country club which is amazing um played there on the thursday uh, on the friday before um having my covid test and then got covid tested and then you enter the bubble and you basically got got to kind of be sensible in, in in kind of keeping safe and socially distant and do all the right things so after that um it was just sort of you know business <laughs> I assume you're you're literally locked in this bubble as soon as you enter the arena. It was it was definitely a bubble, but it wasn't as strict as the Bandon one. So the Bandon one for am for the amateur, we had to stay in one of the required sort of accommodations. So there was two or three hotels, and including the Bandon um, Bandon lodging as well. So they were a bit stricter on those ones uh, at Bandon just because I guess they could kind of force us into one spot, whereas the pros, they kind of do whatever they want. So we could stay in private housing. And so I actually stayed with um, a Wingfoot member who was volunteering um, for the week. And so he'd been tested and I knew that he was safe and and they were fine with that. So um, we stayed about 10 minutes from the course and it was really, really good um, where we stayed. And so, yeah, got there on Saturday, got tested, got got my negative result and then could go and practice. And, um, Saturday I went and, uh, walked the course with my caddy, um, Will and had a, had a fit for the new tideless driver actually, which is really good. And, um, actually put that oh, in nice. play. Um, cause I was in there. Really? Up, Straight in like, the back. Yeah. Picked up four miles per hour ball speed. So, um, wow. I was pretty good over the Mizuno I was using, which I was happy with the Mizuno, but this thing was just so much hotter and, in terms of accuracy, I, they felt pretty similar. So put that in play and, um, yeah, and then went and walked to the front nine that evening and sun was sort of setting and it was just like surreal like, to be there and experiencing yeah. something. I waited probably longer than I'd expected to and, um, 
yeah, it was it was really serene and and cool to to have that little walk around with Will. Um, and then yeah, got me correct if I'm wrong, Lucas, but you went out and saw Winged Foot um, last year, 2019, back in 2019. How did the mm-hmm. course compare on you know when you first saw it on that Saturday, just before tournament week kind of began in earnest? Were you struck by any you know major changes to the course? Was the rough you know much much thicker or did it seem to be playing much different to how you'd envisaged it? I think it was pretty similar to what I expected, which was very different to what I'd played in the past. So, like, when I played it, um, it was 2018, middle of 2018. When I played it then, yeah. I obviously didn't have the rough up and it was, you know, pretty sensible kind of setup. And then that first walk around it, like, the first thing I noticed is, like, can't see my shoes when I'm standing in the rough. Like <laughs> it's so really? long. Um, yeah. And like, it's a legitimate struggle to walk through the rough. If you're not on like the little, you know, short grass tea walk area, like between mm. the tea and the fairway. Um, so it, I mean, that rough was serious business. It was so thick. So yeah, that was, that was the main thing. Other than that, I mean, there was probably a couple fairways that looked a touch narrow where you could say they'd pinched them in. So like the sixth, which is a short par four, um, I think maybe the 11th and the 12th got pinched in a little bit as well. But in, in, in general, it was sort of the same, the same golf course, just with thicker rough. Um, but yeah, it was like really thick though. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly walking around at the first time, it was, it was a little bit confronting knowing that like, geez, the fairways are this narrow and a lot of the time the fairway like turns as well at an angle and it's got a bit of slope in it. So even though they're 25 yards wide, they play like 10 yards wide. Um, I mean, yeah, it was a bit confronting looking at the golf course, but um, I kind of knew that, you know, straight away I could tell like someone will still play pretty reasonable around here. Like, you know, the, the best players in the world, they're pretty damn good. So, I kind of expected around even par to win. I didn't think Bryson shooting six. I didn't think six under was probably on the cards, but maybe a couple mm. under if someone played really well. But um, yeah, it was it was obviously very different to to a normal kind of winged foot setup. And I guess before we jump into the you know the experience or your experience of, of playing in your first major from a sort of maybe a slightly detached kind of course architecture standpoint, because, you know, you're fascinated by that stuff as we all are. Well, I mean, what do you think to, to winged foot from, from that point of view? Is it, is it a golf course that it can be accessible for more players and they, you know, they just do a great job during the U S open of making it challenging for the best players in the world. Or, I mean, how, how do you see it in general? I think, I mean, the green complexes there are so cool. I mean, they're, they're yeah. so wild. The fact that they were built in 19, I, I should know the date, but it was, you know, early 1900s with pretty, you know, basic equipment, potentially horses. I, I actually don't know the details, but, you know, horses with a blade and or, you know, basic machinery. Like, it's pretty impressive how much dirt would have been moved to create those. Um, and then the fact that they're just so intricate as well like i can't imagine how much time and energy they spent building those greens um yeah they're just incredible so i think i think the fact that the greens are so interesting um would just make it a fun a fun golf course to play day in day out certainly i think you know with that setup how it was with that thickness of rough 
your average 10, 15, 20 handicap is not going to have a good time playing that golf course. Particularly, I mean, the rough is kind of okay for someone like me. Like I can hack something out, but for anyone with a swing speed with driver under 100 miles per hour, like I just don't think they'd have the strength to get like Mm. anything, any sort of recovery out of that sort of rough. But, you know, it's set up for a US Open and in a way – the, the setup was kind of funny. Like people always talk about narrow fairways, you know, that takes out the the strategy of, of driving the ball because basically you're just aiming at the middle of a narrow fairway. The funny thing was because the fairways were narrow but the rough was so thick, if you were on the wrong side of the fairway or fairway, the wrong side of the hole, the team kind of the driving zone in the rough, you you had absolutely zero chance of hitting the green. But if you're on the correct side of the f- driving zone in the rough, you could run one up just because of the way that mm. greens were angled. So yeah. there was actually almost more strategy for someone like me than there would be on a hole on a course where the fairways are really wide, where I can hit it anywhere on the fairway and still stick it on the green and able to spin it. So kind of, it's kind of funny that, you know, having such thick rough on narrow fairways in a way kind of made the tee ball a bit more strategic, which is kind of, yeah. people never sort of talk about that, but it, that's just kind of what the setup did, which was kind of, I only realized that like kind of as I was thinking of my way about how I'm going to play each hole, I was like, geez, I'm actually having to think about lines off the tee here, which a lot more than I normally mm. would if the fairways were narrow, I would, you know, in, in those cases, I've just got a perfect lie on the fairway, no matter where, which angle I'm coming in from and I'm able to stop it on a green. So in that way, it was kind of strategic off the tee, which, yeah, yeah. which was interesting. Well, I think Bryson talked about it actually in his, um, in his interview after he won, he basically said, you know, East Lake neutralized his his advantage off the tee because you couldn't really run a ball in the greens was so well Mm -hmm. guarded at the front so you know there was no point in him trying to hit driver and and accepting that he'd miss a few fairways because even with a shorter club in his hands he just wouldn't be able to stick a green but at wingfoot as you say there's there's maybe quite a few openings there where even if you're coming out the rough provided your lie is not terrible Mm -hmm. you might be able to sort of chase one in or at least chase one close enough to the green that you'll be able to get it up and down you saw him playing that sort of punch gouge like so often. He was like a wedge or a nine, and he could literally, as you say, he's missed on the right side to literally mm. gouge it out and run it up. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the greens at Wingfoot are open at the front. I mean, pretty much all of them um, if you're on the correct side of the fairway. So, yeah, I guess that strategy worked. The, the, the funny thing, obviously, like everyone talked about, you know, Bryson's strategy, oh, that'll never work at a US Open. Well, <laughs> like you couldn't have got a more typical US Open in terms of the setup with yeah. long rough at wing foot on a very tough golf course and it worked perfectly, that strategy, which is, you know, I mean, it, Especially the Sunday, he was literally just, it was a running commentary with um, with exactly what he was doing and or how mm. unlucky that shot was. I couldn't have played it any better. And <laughs> it, to be fair, it was, you, did, you didn't need the commentary team there because he was just doing no. it all. Yeah, it was um, fair play to him. Yeah, I was actually I was watching it in person, so I didn't I, I didn't watch it on TV. I was following the back nine in person because they ah, they allowed yeah. us to to walk around and 
that was a pretty cool experience actually that's a nice touch yeah that's that yeah. cool yeah so going back to the start of the week um mm-hmm. pra- practice rounds and i guess the mounting sort of expectation how did how did all of that come to pass how do you kind of navigate those few days leading up to your opening tee shot who do you yeah. play with and what was that kind of experience like yeah so i i managed to line up a practice round it was on the friday with adam scott and um so i lined it up on the friday but it was funny because i i talked to a, a reporter from australia who knew adam scott i've never met him um didn't have his details nothing and so the reporter got in touch with adam and adam actually texted me friday morning but i didn't see oh, it for wow. like 14 hours so like i've basically left scotty just <laughs> hunting and drying, um eventually replied that evening i was like oh sorry Adam didn't say this. Um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, it'd be brilliant. great to play. So we ended up playing on on Monday, um, but I played Sunday with Sung Jaim, which was cool. Oh yeah, he's a superstar. Uh, we we um, saw the photo. That's right. That was it's a famous photo. So <laughs> for, the, for those that haven't seen it, it was us on. We played nine with him, so we we're standing on the ninth green, and we gave um, Sung Jay the kind of the. I don't know how you describe it, but the big ball, the big balls, because yeah. um, that that Honda Classic, I think it's fifteenth hole there, where he mm. basically aimed it straight at the pin. Actually, went right at the pin between the water and the pin, and Mackenzie Hughes gave it the big balls yeah. kind of. Um, yeah. Did he? Did he get the joke? Because it from the photo, his face just looks like completely. Well, and- I I don't know. It was kind of funny. I think we. We were like, oh, Sanjay, Sanjay, like we need a photo. <laughs> and then so we got the photo and then we we're like, oh, one more, one more. And then we like did it. And like after we did it, he was like, ha, ha, ha. Like I, and he said like something like I didn't even see him do it when, when it happened. Because uh, okay. like if no, you look right. at the video, like, but yeah, he, he, he knew what we were doing. So it was, it was, it was good with it. And his caddy was a really cool guy, like an American guy that mm. kind of, couldn't stop laughing as soon as we did it so um <laughs> yeah he was loving it so played nine with Sungjae, and then um that was really cool he flushed it his iron play was unbelievable um i, I actually didn't see where he finished did he, i can't remember if he made the cut but um yeah he flushed it and then played nine with Cantlay. um pretty much straight after we went we went in for lunch and then mm. funnily enough like was like on my phone at lunch and saw that tiger just teed off on 10 and I was like thinking, wow, did did I leave and then Tiger like take the time that I was leaving for? Because um, Tiger and Bryson teed off like literally as I walked off the ninth green. But turns out they teed off maybe 10 minutes before. So I would have been playing behind Tiger and Bryson, which would have been pretty cool. Um, but I thought maybe for a minute there that I'd, I'd missed a potential tea time with Tiger. <laughs> would have been pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, got – Got paired with Cantlay for nine. Um, he was standing on the 10th tee uh, when I got there and joined him. And he was a really interesting guy. Um, very quiet and, like, kind of introverted. Um, but also, like, we talked about some stuff and super, like, intelligent, well-read, like, clearly, like, reads a lot about lots of different stuff. Because we started – I started – I told him I was from Melbourne and then – he knew all about Melbourne and how we've been going through this lockdown and like obviously all over sort of world news sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, that was cool to sort of chat with him and watch him play. He's so good, like, but 
kind of not yeah. that impressive, but just really good. Like I, I was yeah. probably a little longer than him and kind of, he kind of, everything he does looks a bit awkward, but it's just that very you know, aesthetic. The misses are just so small. Yeah. Um, he just does that well. So that was, that was cool to watch as well to know that someone that's like a top 10 player in the world doesn't actually look that impressive is kind of, is kind of crazy, but yeah. that's kind of what it was. Um, so, so yeah, quite I, different to Sung Jay in terms of the sort of ball striking and like yeah, the, yeah. I don't know what it was about Sung Jay. Like he, he like he just kept hitting these five irons to like three feet. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'll do it. To be fair, yeah, like, he, like on the third, well, third would have been longer. I think it was like a hybrid. He hit on the third to like yeah, like five feet, and then he on five, which is the dogleg left converted par five to par four. He literally hit a five iron to like three feet. Um, Probably just a small sample size thing. He probably just hit three flush shots, two or three flush shots. But <laughs> it just was like, wow, this guy's so good. Um, and then, yeah, so that was that was Sunday. And then Monday was around with Adam Scott, um, which was awesome as well. And he's a really nice guy, sort of quiet and reserved. But, you know, start kind of talking about stuff that he, he he's he's passionate about and he he get opens up and um we mm. talk about aim point for a bit because i do that as well and um yeah it was it was cool to play with scotty another aussie obviously and um we're also played with uh rio ishikawa who's like the coolest guy ever um really yeah fun really yeah. guy um <laughs> And Curtis Luck, who's a friend of mine, I went to the same high school as he did, so he's a couple of years younger. But that was a really fun, fun round. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, I just played by myself, um, which was cool as well. Like you know, I, Tuesday I think I pretty much had the first tee time, so I went out there really early. And then Wednesday just played nine in the afternoon um, and sort of had the day like a sort of a light day to kind of make sure I felt sort of rested for round one, I guess. Awesome. And then in yeah. terms of um, going through your practice rounds, it's probably a really nauseous question, but I'm going to ask it. In terms of um, any major club changes, are you flicking between three or four wedges or a two-iron or a hybrid or changing anything there? Or I actually, yeah, I picked up I picked up a new – I picked up a hybrid actually because I'd never used a hybrid, but a friend of mine was like, you've got to use a hybrid because they're great out of the rough. And I probably used it three or four times in the tournament out of the thick rough. And that was actually pretty useful. Um, uh, cause I had a, like a three iron kind of driving irony thing, but that was horrible out of the rough. This thing really good pickup. So I did use that, which was, um, yeah, really, really useful. So that was, that was, uh, that was a good one. Um, but yeah. to give it a nudge around the greens as well bit of a ton no, i probably sh- i probably <laughs> should have done the the hybrid around the greens on my last hole of the the, the second round because i made a double bogey from like one of those ones where it's sitting up against the the collar mm. and the hybrid there probably would have been a smart choice but i tried to putt it and just smashed it past and but, then we uh, can't can't forget the flag bag either. Take it back off your looks. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that is a good pickup. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, the flag bag, which was definitely turned a few heads. Um, shout out to Josh Smith and his brother Matt, who um, owned the company Flag Bag and started it this year. So um, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen them, they're pretty damn cool. Um, they are very cool. I got yeah. one with. It's got my home club Metropolitan flags 
basically they're made from flags from flag sticks. So I got my home club flag sticks and a couple of flag sticks from the uh, the US mid amateur on them, and they're all kind of tied together with a sort of like a camel leather and white leather um, little thing. So it looks it looks awesome, and yeah, definitely like there was a few guys that saw it, and Ian Poulter was loving it. They walked past one okay, of those. Yeah. Oh, I need one of them, and you know, my caddy will love it too because it weighs nothing. <laughs> he was he was loving it, and um, yeah, a bunch of players just mentioned it as I walked past. So that was pretty cool. Did you have a backup nice. in the locker in case the weather came in? Or? I did. I had a backup fully waterproofed Mizuno um, bag in case the weather turned, but thankfully it, it stayed dry. So, yeah, I think mm. the second day it was like 25% chance of rain and I was like, like it's right on the cusp of whether I should. <laughs> and I was like, nah, screw it. I'll use it. But I, I did have it in the locker room. So if like we got a if we had to get it out of the turn, we could kind of do it. Um, but yeah, luckily we didn't have to. So opening tee shot, and, and I guess actually mm-hmm. just, you know, the, the, the tournament in general, what were mm-hmm. the kind of emotions that you, that you went through there? I mean, I know you mentioned that besides the USM, you hadn't really had much kind of competitive golf since March time. Was having said that, was this like a kind of whole new level of intensity and, I don't know, nervous excitement that you were feeling as you were playing and, and stepping on that first tee? Like, what were the sort of emotions? Yeah, I was definitely, like, very nervous. Um, I would have – I got the late the late early draw. So I played sort of midday first round and, yeah. and early the second round, which probably lends itself to, to me feeling a bit more nervous, you know, because you've got all morning to think about hitting that first tee shot. Um, so I definitely, I remember that morning kind of waking up, like kind of not wanting to eat too much, like just feeling just, just the nerves in the stomach. And, um, I do a little bit of like mindfulness meditation stuff, some like self-guided kind of meditation stuff. So I did like a little bit of that at, um, at the place we were staying before I left. And then I did it again in the locker room briefly, but I actually, Sam uh, Harris. So, yeah. Yeah. Once I got to the course though and started hitting some balls and into my sort of pre-round routine, I was pretty fine. Like I just had a set regimen that I always do before a competition round. And so it didn't feel – once I was in that routine, it didn't feel like anything crazy except I'd look to my right and it's Dustin Johnson or something. But, you know, it didn't feel yeah. that crazy. But I felt like I – yeah, I'd managed to block it out pretty well, all the excitement sort of – nervousness energy um yeah pretty well and i actually nailed my first tee shot like i just drilled mm. it down the fairway i was definitely nervous but i had a really good drive. approach as well for eagles yeah and then <laughs> we, we saw the first hole they had yeah, to I, coverage yeah which is great yeah i bombed this driver like i hit it way further than i expect so I actually ran through the fairway and then i hit a wedge into i mean it hit hit the other guy in my group's ball but like it almost would have gone in it went to a foot so it was a n- nice way to start with a birdie. Um, that was Lucas Herbert, yeah. His ball was nestling close and I hit his on the way in. So um, we th- sort of a funny sort of pairing with three Aussies, um, which also in a way helped make me a little bit more comfortable, I suppose, for the, mm-hmm. for the day. Um, and then I now won down the second hole as well and I'm not going to bore you with all the holes, but I basically I played pretty solidly on the front nine. And then I think I just – I got kind of burnt out by the back nine. I was like 
I kind of almost lost my intensity. Like the first few, I was like so kind of focused and intense that I think I just burn myself out. Um, and I think that's the kind of week that it is as well. Like it's a big week. There's a lot going on and mm. I just kind of, I mean, the back nine just feels like a, a blur, like yeah. hard, hardly remember what happened. Like just kept making stupid mistakes and silly chips and, you know, just, and then I, on 18, <laughs> there was a, there's a shot length. You can basically see the shot length yeah. of my two shot on 18, but last holiday I've hit a branch in the shoot there. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tight shoot, the 18 T shot, but I've hit a bad drive and it's just caught this branch and gone straight backwards and left to the back of the 17th green. So it went a total of 66 yards, <laughs> on shot link, which wasn't ideal um, and made a nice triple up the last. So yeah, it was pretty average way to end the day, but um, yeah, it, it was still a, you know, fun US Open experience with a few highlights like chipped in on seven and, you know, birdie yeah. on one. So there was some good yeah. parts today. Yeah, we got Definitely. coverage of the of the first hole, almost yeah, almost holding out the second mm-hmm. shot. We got coverage of the chip in. In fact, mm-hmm. I think I think I just got in from wherever I've been that day and you had a complete pot luck. You you're yeah. pretty much seeing off. And I think I actually videoed WhatsApp just exploded, didn't it? I videoed the T V with your second shot almost going in, rewinding it just to our little cookie jar WhatsApp group going. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it would have been nice to, yeah, keep that, that trend going, a couple more birdies. I think I, I actually that's funny because I remember looking at the leaderboard behind the first green. I was tied eighth after one hole because I was one under. <laughs> so I can say I was tied eighth at the US Open um, through one hole, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, and I guess looking back on, on the week and I guess maybe mm-hmm. the practice rounds in, in general that, you know, you played with some some great players there. Do you look back on that week and say, you know, I'm actually pretty damn close to being able to like compete with the best players in the world. There's maybe a couple of areas I need to sharpen up or is there an area game where you're like, yeah, that's, that's something I I want to address and kind of fix. Mm. Like what are the kind of key takeaways from, from the U S open? Yeah, I think, I think the second round for me was like a bit more kind of promising in that it, I kind of saw that I, I made a bunch of mistakes. I didn't play my best. Like I made a double bogey in the last from greenside for two, which is a it's a par mm. five. Um, you know, I'd normally even with the lie I had, I'd normally get up and down fifty percent of the time and probably make par fifty percent of the time. So birdie or par, and I ended up making double, just messed it up. So if I'd shot seventy four or seventy five that second round, playing what I felt was pretty average, that would have beaten the average score for the day. And I was like that kind of tells me that I feel like I'm not that far off it, you know, despite, yeah. you know, shooting, you know, I mean, I was DFL like first round. I was, I think I was either tied dead last or, or DFL. Um, and then second round, I kind of played again, really average and then kind of made up a few spots, but basically that second round kind of showed me, okay, like maybe I'm not that far off it. Definitely after the first mm. round, I was pretty disappointed with everything, but the second round, certainly gave me a little bit more promise and and yeah i think i think given that i had pretty ordinary preparation uh for the events you know i played one one big event in the previous six months which was the u.s amateur and all those guys are playing week in week out um in in that sort of 
those sort of pressure and that sort of stage like all the time. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think had I had a more normal preparation and had I actually played reasonably well and not hit it so poorly, um, I certainly think I could have made the cut. Um, uh, and, Mm -hmm. and potentially, you know, if I played really well, you know, come somewhere in the top sort of 30 or 20, if I just played decent. So Yeah. yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come away like too um, kind of shocked by their ability compared to mine. I definitely felt like if there's one area that I'd need to improve, it is my ball striking. I'm just constantly trying to chase getting better there because those guys, they're really, really good. But I feel like my putting and short game and recovery plays actually kind of there with them. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's just mainly the, the ball striking and, I mean, the best players in the world, Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, and those guys, I mean, they're just flushes, basically. And and if I want to be at that level, that's where i got to get. And is that just a case of of they're just hitting sort of one shape out there and it's just on a rope pretty much the whole time, their windows are are really, really tight, or is it – I mean, are they knocking it in close all the time? Like how – I think, yeah. Outside of Berber. Yeah, I think, I mean, each of them are probably a little bit different, but watching Cantlay, it was like his bad shot was like just into the rough, whereas my bad shot's like 20 yards into the rough. Um, so it's, they're just, they just got tighter misses, I think, in general. Yeah. Um, and just sort of being able to manage the club face and be a bit more consistent with that because my path numbers like on a track van are super consistent. It's just my face control is just wild generally. So I just right. need to tighten that up and sort of some technical stuff and it's and it's some just practice and and kind of skill stuff as well Well, i guess the coolest thing is um you get another chance at the masters that's true yeah i've got another shot and i think it's a course that probably is going to suit me a little better um i hadn't had a heap of experience from long rough american style golf um you know, Australian golf is really different to that. Whereas I think Augusta with a lot of short grass and some wider fairways and um, firmer, hopefully firmer greens. Well, they were pretty firm at Wingfoot. Um, yeah, that'll hopefully play into my hands a little bit more. Yeah, because I guess November, yeah, the difference between April and November, I guess it will be paying firmer. That will be the difference. I, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I've heard sort of mixed things of what November's yeah. like. It'll look cool, at least, <laughs> yeah. to have some full mm. colours and that. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure what how it'll play. I think it'll probably just be weather-dependent like like it is most times. But, I mean, they've got all the technology in the world to, to get it how they want it, I'm sure. What What's the plan between now and Augusta, then? Are you hoping to maybe get some more competitive reps in and kind of base yourself, you know, in America and, and, and sort of set up a bit of a base or are you going to carry on doing the, the course design work? What's the schedule? Yeah, like? I'm sort of mixing up. So basically these three weeks, I've got sort of six-ish weeks until I get to Augusta. So the first three to four, I'll mostly be in Detroit, um, sort of work in the golf course architecture stuff, um, learning a bit more of of kind of, hands-on construction stuff. Um, I think he finishes up in, I think, the very end of October, 31st of October is supposed to be where he sort of hands off the keys and it's kind of done. So um, 
yeah, that I'll be here for probably three weeks more and then head to Florida after that and sort of for some warmer weather because Detroit, Michigan starts getting pretty cold end of October. Yeah, I so bet. Yeah, I want to be out of here by then. Um, so down to Florida, Will Davenport, my caddy's down there. So he's just moving into a new apartment. He's finished up business school in Philly, so he's moving down back to – he's from Florida. So he'll be down in uh, sort of Fort Lauderdale. So I'll probably stay with him for about a week and then we're both going to play the rescheduled Azalea Amateur, the one I was going to play in March. Um, oh, yeah. That one's Country Cup of Charleston, so – We'll play that. So that'll be something at least competitive. And that the field this year there is going to be really, really good because of the college season's been cancelled and all those guys are going to be playing it. So I had a look at the, the field list and it was super impressive. So um, we'll play that and then probably spend a week. We'll have a week kind of between that and tournament week at the Masters. So I think we're going to go up to Pinehurst and, and kind of play some golf and prep oh, there. Nice. Yeah, the USGA has got a base there and they said they were happy to have me kind of there to practice. And um, so that will be a really sweet place to, to hone the game in the lead up, which I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to. Yeah, have you have you been to Pinehurst before? I actually have, yeah. I, I went there last year. I played the North and South Amateur, which is like their big yeah. kind of annual amateur event. Um, I was hoping to play that as it was going to be like the preparation for the US Amateur, but I didn't qualify, which was a bit annoying, um, but still got to play number two and number four, which are the two, probably the two best courses there. And i um, looking forward to getting back there and playing a bit more golf. Cause it's, it's to me, it feels like a bit like um, St. Andrews does in, in Scotland, yeah. like home of golf in America. Didn't Tyler yeah. Strafacci, he won the, um, the North and South, didn't he? Was that last year? Uh, yeah, or? I think he, I think he did actually. That's probably a good yeah. point. I think he won it. It might have even been this year. Yeah, um, did he win, he win this year? Yeah. yeah, I think he might have won it this year. Yeah, he had a pretty good run. Maybe it was last year. I don't know. Anyway, I know he's won it. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's obviously finds a good player. Well, um, mate, you've been very generous with your time as ever. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for coming onto the pod and giving us such an awesome insight into playing a major championship um and i know i speak for all of our listeners and and sam and tom who aren't here um in wishing you the best of luck at augusta we're definitely going to be following along closely um but, but it sounds like you've got a pretty awesome schedule lined up between now and then as well with the coursework so uh thanks a lot bruce and yeah best of luck with it all watch this 